The rest of us will stay here. I do have PowerPoint tonight, so if it helps you to see the PowerPoint, you can certainly move forward. All right. Uh, the PowerPoint does have some text on it. And in order to get it all on the slides, I had to squeeze a few of the lines together. So while I'm looking down, you can move forward with nobody watching if you want. Okay, you're welcome to move forward uh, if, that, if that would help you. Well, tonight and then, Lord willing, next Sunday evening, I'm planning to lead us through just a, a two-week kind of mini-series. And I've titled it, What Do We Believe? What do we believe? So if I, uh, if I asked you to finish this statement and you only had one minute, the statement is, I believe, that's blank, you had one minute or less to finish that statement, what would you say? You're like, well, good thing I have the song in front of me, right? I, I, I believe in God. But if you didn't have this in front of you and somebody asked you, what, what, what do you believe? and you had one minute or less to finish that statement, what, what would you say? How many of you would say, I believe the Bible? You'd say that. You'd say, I believe the Bible. That's a good answer. I hope you believe the Bible. That's a good answer. But to simply say, I believe the Bible is insufficient. Now, why would I say that? Because Catholics would agree with that statement. Mormons would agree with that statement. Even some Muslims would agree with that statement. So there, there's more that has to be said, right? And for God's people, the church, the New Testament church, from its infancy through the last two millennia to today, the church has realized that we need to finish that statement in, in a more comprehensive way and yet keep it, keep it succinct, right? We got, we got a minute or less. And so from the very beginning, Christians began using creeds, began using creeds to summarize their beliefs. And those creeds over 2,000 years developed and matured, usually through controversy. Usually it was controversy within God's people within the New Testament church that brought about the need for a more refined or a more robust edition of, of a creed. Eventually, creeds gave birth, you might say, to confessions. And then confessions, over time, gave birth, you might say, to statements of faith. And that's a quick summation of the last 2,000 years or so of, of church history. Uh, Jonathan, my clicker is not working, so I don't know if you can advance kind of on my cue. Um, thank you very much. I don't know why it's not. Next slide, please. And then uh, what we have today, at least in our church, is we have a statement of faith. If you're a member, you have agreed to this statement of faith. Do you know how long our statement of faith is? It's on the screen. It is about five pages long. So you can't read it in a minute or less. I doubt that any of us have it memorized. And yet we believe it. I'm not up here in any way disparaging our church's statement of faith. I believe it. And if you're a member, you do too. But we realize we, we, need, we need something a little more succinct. We need something a little more maybe clear um, than than just, just you know, our, our statement of faith. Something that we can communicate with others in person on the street or, or when we don't have the, the statement in front of us. Tonight and next week, I want to help us know not only what Christians believe, but I hope to help us understand how the church 
has understood and developed these statements, these creeds, statements of faith, and then really grown appreciation for the Christian heritage that we have. We have a really rich, full treasure of Christian heritage from 2,000 years of, of God's people, the New Testament church. And I hope that, that tonight and, and tomorrow or uh, and next week we'll grow in our appreciation for this. I do want to, at the very beginning here, credit um, a pastor out in New England named Nate Pickowicz. He has a connection to our church in a, in a, in a lengthy way. So Nate Pickowicz pastors a church where Kendra, Kendra Chapman's parents are members. Okay? But he wrote a book uh, titled Christ and Creed. Really excellent book. And I've leaned on it a lot as I've, as I've prepared for this. Let's pray together, and then we'll jump into uh, what we believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening, and we thank you for the opportunity now to consider what you have given to us in your word and how we should and ought to, and, and over history, have summarized your truth in powerful, clear, comprehensive, succinct statements. We thank you for our Christian brothers and sisters, our Christian ancestors, who worked through important truth, important doctrine, and distilled it into forms that, that we can then say in, in a minute or less, that explain who you are, explain what you've done for us through Jesus. So, Father, we're just grateful. We've been given this rich heritage, and we thank you for that. We think of the Trinity team meeting now. We pray that you bless their meeting as they continue to think about how best to serve that church, that you help us now here, that we would use this time to, to honor you in the way that we think about your truth. In Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen. Amen. So the word creed, what does it even mean? Well, creed, the English word creed comes from a Latin word, credo, which simply means, I believe. So that's what the word creed means, I believe. Now, here's a little bit of my personal history for you, okay? I grew up in Christianity, thankful for that. But I did not grow up in creedal Christianity. Maybe some of you did. Maybe some of you have been parts of churches that regularly would, would recite different historic Christian creeds. I did not. Um, I don't recall ever learning about creeds or confessions until I was probably young adult. I could not name a single one. I didn't understand the significance of them. And yet, in another way, I did grow up in a Christian tradition that taught me summary statements of belief. So here's one thing I learned about creation. I learned that it was the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and filled the lofty skies. This is one thing I learned about the Trinity, I learned that God is merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. This is one thing I learned about salvation. I learned that there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and that sinners who are plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. So in, in one way, I actually did learn creeds, but, but they, were, they were songs, they're hymns, right? Though I didn't know these historic Christian creeds, I'm thankful for, for some really great songs that, that have taught me biblical truth. And there were times in my Christian upbringing I learned hymns that weren't as biblically faithful, but that's a different story for, for a different time. Then I went to college. And in college, 
I was required to learn a creed and to say it out loud every day. And some of you have the same alma mater I do, and you can finish the statement, right? I believe in the inspiration of the Bible, both the Old and the New Testaments, the creation of man by the direct act, and you can go on and on. Every day we said this creed, and you had to have it memorized in order to pass any Bible class you took. So I went from no creeds, or at least no traditional creeds that we would think of, to, to one creed every day. Now, it's not, it's not only Christians who use creeds. You guys probably know this, right? Any statement that begins with, I believe, is really a creed. So interestingly, Ford Motor Company has a creed. You can find it on their website. It says something like this. We believe in the power of creating a world with fewer obstacles and limits, where people have the freedom to build a better life and pursue their dreams. And then it goes on. The company Adidas has a creed. We believe in our values of courage, ownership, innovation, team play, integrity, and respect. And then it goes on. Maybe more local to us, I was looking for Lapeer companies that have creeds, and there are some. Do you know that Thumb Alarm System has a creed? Their company here in Lapeer has a creed. We believe in understanding each customer's needs, and then it goes on. Now, I'm not here to tell you companies' creeds, right? I'm here to help us realize that we all believe something or some things. Even companies realize the importance of putting their beliefs into a statement that then they, they teach from, they hold their employees accountable to, and it guides what they do as a company. Every major company I'm aware of uses creedal language. Interestingly, they use the language of belief. A company that makes and sells a product wants their employees to believe something, not just do something. Isn't that interesting? So even non-Christians understand that our beliefs determine our behavior. Companies know that if their employees believe certain things, they will work certain ways. And so their creeds are not our employees will do and do and do and do. It's our employees will believe and believe and believe and believe. Isn't that interesting? But that's how life is. That's how, the human, that's how humans are. We behave because of what we, we believe. And it's not just companies that know this, uh, but our world knows this. In the last few years, there's been something of a secular creed that has developed. I've seen this creed on yard signs here in Lapeer. Perhaps you have too. And so the creed looks like this. In this house, we believe. They say what they believe. They don't say what they do. They say what they believe. And then it finishes. This is a very religious statement. The houses that have this maybe wouldn't think of it as religious, but it's a statement of faith. We believe. Now, if you want good commentary on this what's called the secular creed there's a book by rebecca mclaughlin i would highly commend to you it's titled the secular creed now here's the point here's the point okay creeds confessions statements of faith they're really really valuable really really valuable our world understands that our beliefs determine what we do and we as christians believe that not just because the world does but because the bible teaches that read the book of titus it's all about belief and behavior, that beliefs dictate behavior and behavior 
reflects or reveals belief. So if someone says, I believe this, but they act this way, they actually don't believe this because their behavior tells you what they actually believe. Now, that's all kind of just introduction to just a, a short, simple lesson tonight. I want to draw our attention tonight to two main things. First of all, creeds in the Bible. There are creeds in the Bible. So take your Bibles and open to Exodus, Exodus 34. Jonathan, thank you for following along so well. I'm sorry the clicker isn't working, but you're doing great. Thanks. You're hired. You're in the choir and on the AV team now. This is great. Exodus 34. As we begin early in the Old Testament, we see short statements of truth that God gave his people so that they would repeat them often. And not just repeat them often, but that they would know them fully and that they would believe them deeply. Exodus 34, beginning of verse 6. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and it goes on. This statement is repeated over and over again, especially in the Old Testament. We read it tonight from Psalm 103. Do you remember this in responsive reading? We read some of these same words. This is a creed, if you will, a short statement of, of what is true, that the Israelites were to repeat over and over again, and they did, especially in song, so that they would believe it, so that they would then act in accordance with it. Turn ahead now to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is even more uh, specifically given as, as a creed, something that was to be repeated. This is a confession that's known as the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So God says, Here's a statement, you might say a creed. You are to know this, you are to believe it. It's supposed to be on your heart, God says. Believe it. You're supposed to teach it to the next generation. You're supposed to repeat it throughout the day. You're supposed to talk about it, discuss it, right? Talk of them when you sit in your house and so on. It was to be posted in public places where they would see it. So we have at least two examples here from the Old Testament. Now, now turn to Titus chapter 3, Titus 3. As you're turning there, I'm going to read from a couple other passages. The New Testament contains several statements that scholars believe are early church creeds. A few examples uh, include some of the trustworthy statements that Paul gives to Timothy and Titus. So as you read the pastoral epistles, you'll see this is a trustworthy statement or a trustworthy saying. And scholars believe that some or maybe all of those were, were early church creeds. Many of them would have been sung in, in church gatherings and worship services. 
So in 1 Timothy 1, I know you're in Titus, you can just listen. 1 Timothy 1, 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. What's the statement? What's the creed? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul adds, I think, his, his comment, of whom I am the foremost. Right? Or 2 Timothy 2. The saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. So this, this creed. Here in Titus, we have, again, a, something of a, of a creed. Titus 3, there's, there's a lot here. I'm just going to skim a couple of verses and draw your attention to, to a few right in the middle. So verse 1, Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, tells Titus, Remind them, remind Christians in your church to be submissive, to be obedient, ready for every good work. Verse 2, don't speak evil, don't quarrel, be gentle, show perfect courtesy. Then, beginning of verse 3, we have something of a, of a testimony, like a corporate testimony. Like this is true of every Christian. What's true? Verse 3, we were once foolish and disobedient, led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Then Paul says, the saying is trustworthy. So he's talking, I believe, about primarily verses 4 down through 7. The gospel. He says, the saying is trustworthy. Keep reading verse 8. And I want you to insist on these things. Insist on what? Insist on belief in the gospel. Why? Keep reading. So that, this is amazing. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Do you see the behavior and belief connection? Back verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, behavior. Then you have verses 3 through 7, belief. Then you have verse 8, if you've believed, you will devote yourselves to this certain type of behavior. So again, it's a, it originates with God, the fact that what we believe determines how we live. It determines our, our behavior. Now, perhaps the earliest creed that's recorded in the New Testament is in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. And many of you have this creed memorized. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here's the creed. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Note a couple things about this early church creed. It was passed down to Paul, and he then passed it down to others. Right? He delivered what he received. So there's this heritage or this line of, of doctrine, of truth. Secondly, note that this creed is in submission to the Bible, right? Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 
So we see here this, this pattern or template of, of good Christian creeds, that they are passed along and that they are submitted to Scripture. There are some Christians who, um, speaking in opposition to creeds, they will say, no creed but the Bible. I'm sympathetic toward that. But that in itself is a creed. You just said what you believe. And that's okay. But again, there are some Catholics who would agree with that. There are other uh, false religions and even cults that would, that would say that they believe the Bible. So this, uh, this quote on the screen is from Carl Truman. Truman says, if you're looking for good Christian creeds, the best creeds are a thematic summary of what the Bible teaches. And the first historic Christian creed, at least good Christian creed, that developed is called the Apostles' Creed. It's the one that we, we sang earlier, at least we sang a rendition of it. I'm going to, just in the last five, ten minutes we have here together, I'm just going to lead us through these lines of truth emphasizing the, the right doctrine that they communicate. Commenting on a few of them, a few that maybe are confusing or perhaps um, are ones that certain Christians have, have struggled with or have tried to understand more fully. Uh, but I want, I want to do this because as we sing this, as we know this, as we maybe even say this, I want to know what we're saying and how it is submitted to Scripture. Uh, before we get into the Apostles' Creed, uh, it seems that, as we read the New Testament, it seems that the very first creed that Christians uh, expected one another to say is the simple three-word phrase, Jesus is Lord. That's what early Christians would say, Jesus is Lord. So you can read about this in Romans 10, verse 9, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, 2 Corinthians 4, 5, Philippians 2, 11, other parts of the New Testament. That's something that all Christians were expected to confess. Confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. As time went on, Christians realized they had to be more specific about what we believe. So, so we say Jesus is Lord. Well, who is Jesus? Is Jesus God? If he's God, who is God? If he's Lord, how did he become Lord? What is he Lord over? Or who is he Lord over? And, and so on. And so by the... By the 300s, by the 4th century, what we know now as the Apostles' Creed had basically reached its final form, the words that, that we'll see on the screen in just a moment. For many centuries, new Christians professed this when they were baptized. This is amazing. So new Christians, they, they professed Christ, they confessed Christ. Then they would often go through a period of, of catechizing, like some, something of like a doctrines class, where they would be taught the, the truth of the word, the truth of the apostles' teaching. And then after they finished that class, then if they continued to believe and confess that Jesus is Lord, then, then the early church would baptize them. And as they were up there, well, maybe not up, we don't know what the buildings were like at the time, probably in a house, maybe at a lake, probably at a lake or a river. As they were in front of this congregation, they would read the, this creed, the apostles' creed professing, confessing that this is what they believe, and then, and then they would be, be baptized. Why is it called the Apostles' Creed? It's, it's not because the 12 apostles wrote it, okay? But rather, it's a summary of the apostles' teaching. So in Acts 2.42, right, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
And so this creed is a robust summary of the apostles' teaching. So you'll see it now on the screen. It's broken up into really three parts. I warned you it was small text. Okay. <laughs> there are three parts. Are God the Father, God the Son, and then you have God the Holy Spirit and the church. Those are the three parts. So I'll just briefly lead us through each of these, uh, these three parts. So first, God. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Christianity begins with God, begins with belief in the person of God. He is the powerful, all-powerful creator of all, and he's personal. He's, he's our father. Next member of the Trinity, next person of the Trinity, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, our Lord. I could go word by word, I'm not going to, but just note that Jesus Christ means that he's rooted in history as the man by the name of Jesus, the God-man, Christ, the promised Messiah, the only begotten Son of God the Father. So this states his deity, that he is begotten from God, and that he's Lord. He's the master over all believers. Next line, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So there the early church confesses what we know from Scripture, that Jesus was born of a virgin. Then next line, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Here we have kind of the heart of Christ's earthly ministry. Why would the early church emphasize Pontius Pilate? Any ideas? It roots it in a moment in history. Like this is a literal man, God-man, who suffered under a ruler who was known. Like he's in the history books. So it places our belief in an actual event in time. Next line, he descended into hell. Now, this is a line that quite a few Christians have been confused about because there has been bad teaching on this. So let's take a moment to just focus on this line. I want to make sure we know what it means and what it doesn't mean. Okay, so first, what it doesn't mean. This phrase doesn't mean that Jesus went to the place of final judgment. When we use the word hell... We usually use it to refer to a place of, of final judgment. But the word hell has multiple meanings. And when the Bibles were translated into, into English initially, the word hell usually didn't mean the place of final judgment. It usually meant the place of the dead. So in Hebrew, that would be Sheol. In Greek, that'd be Hades. As you read your Bibles, those two words, Hebrew, Sheol, Greek Hades, they're often translated the grave. Sometimes they're translated hell. So when the early Christians stated this, they, they weren't believing what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, that Jesus went into the underworld to fight for the souls of departed saints. And there you get the doctrine of purgatory, right? So that's not what the early church was confessing. That's not what this line means. What does it mean? It means that Jesus experienced full, complete, absolute death as, as a man. He went all the way like to the grave, all the way to the place of the dead. He, he was dead dead. Some of you know um, Christmas Carol. My daughter is reading Christmas Carol for a school project. Do you know how the Christmas Carol begins? He was dead. 
And then there's like two pages of like explaining that he was actually dead. Like he was dead, 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 dead. This is Marley who, who died, okay? And, and, and in essence, and again, that's a silly illustration, but, but that's what this line is communicating. Jesus actually died. He didn't swoon and then wake back up. He wasn't knocked out for a time and then kind of resuscitated. He was as dead as anyone has ever been dead. That's in essence what, what this line means. It doesn't mean that Jesus went to the place of final judgment. We know what he said to the thief on the cross, right? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Next line. Third day he arose again from the dead. So Jesus conquered death. He truly was dead. And now he truly is alive. He really, really rose from the dead. Next line. He ascended into heaven. Now he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus ascended. He is exalted. And he intercedes for his people. And from there, last line of this second part, from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. When Jesus came the first time, he came to save. When he comes again, he will bring full and final judgment on evil and evildoers. Final part of this, this confession, this creed, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit. So Christians believe that there is one God in three persons. Christians confess that the Holy Spirit is God. Next line has also led to some confusion. If you can read it up there, you know why. Look at that third word in that line. We don't like that word, do we? Who knows what the word Catholic, when it's not capitalized, who knows what it means? Just raise your hand. It means universal. In fact, it didn't have any association with the Roman church until hundreds of years after this creed was was agreed upon and confessed by Christians. So when it says the holy Catholic church, it means the holy people of God at all times, in all places. Universal. That's why it's not capitalized. Uh, I had a professor in college. Some of you have had him for classes, and he said many times in classes, and he has a voice that's amazing. I'm not going to try to imitate his voice. But he would say, Roman Catholic Church is an oxymoron. Roman is a place, Rome. Catholic is universal. He would say, call it the Roman Church. That's what it is. And he'd go on. But the Holy Catholic Church just means the universal church, all of God's people, the communion of saints. Next line, the forgiveness of sins. If you missed this morning's sermon, you should listen to it when it's posted online. It's all about the forgiveness of sins. Christianity isn't primarily about making the world a better place, although as we live out our beliefs, we certainly will affect people around us. Christianity is primarily about our need to be reconciled with our creator, the forgiveness of sins. Next line, the resurrection of the body. So because Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, all of us, all of us who follow him will also follow him in, in resurrection. And then finally, life everlasting. The ultimate joy for the Christian is not simply unending life, but eternal life with our Savior. Right? Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Like that's the hope of everlasting life. So the Apostles' Creed serves and has served the church for two millennia as a glorious, accurate summary of essential Christian belief. But you might ask, how did Christian beliefs develop from the Apostles' Creed, right in the 300s, to then the five-page statement of faith that our church uses today? Like, how did that happen? 
Well, that little arrow represents 2,000 years. And Lord willing, next Sunday night, we'll quickly survey those 2,000 years to see how we got from the Apostles' Creed to our statement of faith that we believe today. Let's pray, and then we will head to our members' meeting uh, and then the Ice Cream Fellowship to follow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these truths. Even as we sang earlier, we, we praise you, the triune God, three in one. And we praise you that you have, through Christ, given us forgiveness of sins. We are so unworthy. Father, we pray that we would be quick to share this with other people, other Christians as well as, as, well as non-Christians. Help us to be ready to, to say what we believe. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The members' meeting will start in about 